Well, welcome. Uh, If you are here, join us online. We're so glad that you are here. Let me introduce myself. Uh, My name is Pastor Justin. I'm the campus pastor here and uh, also the global project pastor. And uh, I am very, very excited uh, to speak to you today to continue a series that that we've called Dangerous Prayers. Uh, For those that are not new, uh, let me just clarify something here real quick for you. Um, You may be saying, man, something is different about Pastor Justin. I've had a couple people come up to me just say, oh, there's something different about you. I can't tell what's going on. And, uh, and I ask them, I said, do you, do you think I'm buffer? And they say, no, I don't think that's it. <laughs> well, here's, here is what's new, uh, is I, I've got a new hairstyle going on right now. Um, yeah, yeah, I do. And uh, my wife, Tara, she likes it. And uh, that's a big motivating factor in my life, um, that my wife likes the way I look. So I think we're going to stick with it. And uh, if you don't like it, uh, I'm just going to ask you not to say anything. Uh, like your mom said, if you've got nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all. So um, I don't want you to be distracted. I want you to focus on what's being said here. So here we go. Here we go. Week two. Uh, dangerous prayers. Dangerous prayers are prayers that we find in the Bible that as followers of Christ, we are supposed to be praying. In fact, it was said last week that these are dangerous prayers if we don't pray them. Because when we pray dangerous prayers, it opens up our heart. It opens up our life to God's very best in our life. Last week, Pastor Rob, our lead pastor, began with the prayer, God, your will, not my will. He challenged us this past week to continue to pray, God, your will, not my will. If you missed it, uh, I challenge you, go online, take 30 minutes and uh, watch it. It's a great uh, foundation for our series, a great prayer that we need as followers of Christ, continue to pray. Uh, This week, I'm starting uh, uh, week two with the prayer, God, mold me. I'm going to warn you that this is a prayer that challenges us as Christ followers. And it gets heavy because it deals with the depth of our character, who we are, submitting who we are to Jesus Christ and turning over our will, our plans, and saying, God, mold me, use me how you want. We find this prayer in Jeremiah. Jeremiah was one of the major Old Testament prophets. He had a vision, a metaphor from God, and here we find it in Jeremiah 18, 1 through 5. It'll be up on the screen if you don't have your Bibles with you. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me, he said, can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand. This vision that Jeremiah got, this metaphor, God is the master potter, and we are simply clay in his hands, and he wants to form a masterpiece. Our prayer, the dangerous prayer this week is, God, mold me, use me. Let's begin with a word of prayer. God, give us the courage to be willing to trust you, to submit our lives to you and say, God, 
Mold me. Do what you want with my life, however you want. I trust you as the master potter to shape me, to mold me. Give us the courage this morning to hear what you want. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Now, this can be a very dangerous prayer. It can be a scary prayer because it requires us to trust and to submit. And for some of us, that's difficult. And some of you right now, you're saying, I'm out. I have my five-year, I have my 10-year, I have my life plan. I have an agenda. I don't want anyone messing up. And you think that you're in control of your life. And you don't want anyone tinkering, messing up your plans. Now, most of us probably wouldn't say it that strong. But your philosophy, your plan is this. I'm going to work really hard. I'm going to try to make all the right decisions that I can. I'm going to treat people really well. And the rest is going to take, take care of itself. Excuse me. But scripture, the Bible would say that both of those philosophies of life both of those attitudes are not what we found, find in Scripture. Here's what Isaiah 45, 9 says. Woe to those who quarrel with their maker. Does the clay say to the potter, what are you making? Henry Nouwen says it this way, a great author, says this. To protest is the continuation of our illusion that we know what life is all about, that we rule it and determine its values as well as its goals. We do not. And our challenge instead is to convert our protest into a prayer, lifting us to him who holds our life in his hands and our heart in his boundless love and mercy. The heart and the attitude of a follower of Christ is God mold me and use me. Ephesians 2.10 says this, for we are God's handiwork, Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now I know that when I say that God wants to use you, there are individuals in this room say that that's impossible. I know my past. I know my mistakes. I know my limitations. I know my failures. And there is no way God can use me the addictions that I'm battling, the struggles that are going on behind closed doors, there is no way God can use me for his kingdom purpose and glory. This image of the potter taking a broken pot and putting it back on the potter's wheel declares that that is not true, that God can reform you and make you for his purpose. Can I tell you what goes on in the mind of a preacher? The battles that go on in the mind of a preacher before they step on the stage, during worship, these battling thoughts go on. They just are endless. They're ceaseless. You should not be stepping up on that stage. There are people in this room that know who you are. The people that have spent time with you in your life, they know who you really are. Your wife really knows who you are. They know the mistakes that you've made. They know the thoughts that you've had. They know those things that make you imperfect. There's not anyone that is worthy to stand before you in and of themselves. But here's the good news. It has nothing to do with me. There's nothing that I can do to set you free. It is by the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ alone that has the power to do the work that he wants to do this morning in your life. 
Not because of me and any perfection that I've got. I've got none. It is all about Jesus Christ. But what are the thoughts that you're battling? What are the imperfections in your life? I'm telling you, God wants to use you. When you look back at history, in every archaeological dig, they find shards, they find broken pieces of pottery. But here's the interesting thing, is that in every society, when they find these broken pieces of pottery, they put them back to use. Some become writing utensils, some become weapons, some become these masterful pieces of art. So it is with God. He takes the brokenness of our life and he makes something useful. He makes something beautiful out of it. Think back to art class. When the spectrum of talent is on display, you've got these people with a piece of clay and they can make something beautiful. And then you got somebody like myself, Junior over in the corner, that is making some deformed alien looking whatever that's gonna present it to mom and dad and grandparents and they're gonna say it's awesome but it's horrible. But here, here's what some teachers do, and I love this, is they take that broken, messed up, mangled, whatever clump, and in the middle of the night, before they put it in the kiln to just fire it and to make it hard, they take it and they reform it. And when they hand it back to you, you know in your mind, you're like, this is not what I handed you. <laughs> but you present it to mom and dad as if you did it all. Well, that's what God does. He takes our brokenness, our messed up, mangled, whatever thing that we call life. He says, just give it to me. And I'll massage it. I'll make it look something beautiful and useful. Now, the Christian in here says, I got it figured out. I've arrived. You may not be so bold to say that, but in your heart, you've got it figured out. You know the plan. And you're just working the plan. It's not about you as the container. You're still just a lump of clay. And here's an interesting fact about pottery. In most societies, the pottery was not very expensive. In fact, what was inside the pottery was far more valuable than the pottery itself. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 12. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life, may also be revealed in our mortal bodies. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. In you. Let, re let me remind you that Jesus Christ is the masterpiece that we hold. No matter how good we think we are, no matter how great we think we become, it is still all about and only Jesus Christ that is the masterpiece that we should be showing the world, not how great we are, not how good we are. All the glory, all the credit should be deflected to Jesus Christ. 
Now, I'm a young dad. Uh, three years ago yesterday, I officially became Pastor Mac Daddy What's Up. That's awesome. My little girl was born three years ago yesterday. Um, one year ago today, my son uh, was born. And so I am a very, very young, inexperienced dad. And I can tell you, as a young dad, there were a couple things that I would, was not prepared for. Let me tell you one that I was not prepared for. When you get that text message or you get that voicemail from Tara, call me as soon as possible. Okay, this happened to me last Saturday. Call me as soon as possible. I'm on the way to do a wedding. I'm in the car. I read the text. I know I'm not supposed to, but I read the text. And, uh, and so I call immediately thinking, what's going on? What's happening? Amelia, our three-year-old daughter's on the phone. She has got something to tell me. Daddy, I went potty. Okay. That's awesome, babe. You know, that is so good. One or two, whatever. Okay, great. So good. I'm expecting like tragedy and she's telling me she went potty on the toilet. I was not expecting for that. Okay. Another thing that I was not expecting is how well reacquainted I'd become with Plato. I didn't love Plato as a kid, but I am becoming very well acquainted with Plato. Here's what I realized. I know Plato's not clay, but it's similar in its consistency. Okay, in its physical state, Plato. Plato is a lot of fun, and when it remains pliable, you can create something special. But when it's uncared for, when it's just left out, it becomes brittle and virtually useless. When we pray the dangerous prayer, God mold me, what we're literally saying to God is I'm going to remain pliable. If you want to reshape me, if you want to recreate in areas of my life that I thought were all done, all taken care of, I'm going to open that back up to you to re-examine one more time. And I'm going to always remain pliable in your hands so that I can remain useful for you to create whatever you want to create. This process, the big theological term, is called sanctification. Now, let, let me be clear about this. The moment you make a decision to follow Jesus Christ and you say, Jesus, come into my life, become the Lord and Savior of my life, you are instantly, instantaneously justified, made perfect, declared innocent, called son and daughter. Not because of anything that you did, not because of anything that you might do in the future, but because of everything that Jesus Christ did for you and your simple acceptance of that. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ, it is the greatest thing that you'll ever do and it will start you on a journey and a path that you never conceived was possible. I challenge you to do it. But this sanctification process does not happen in a moment. And it doesn't make you holy. Only Jesus Christ makes you holy. What the sanctification process does is it forms you into the image to look more like Jesus Christ visible to the world. We want to look like Jesus Christ. We want to take on the image of our creator so that we can reflect who he is, how perfect he is, how good he is. Not how holy we are because how great he is. But how do you do this? It's a long, painful process. The Apostle Paul gives us a clue in Colossians 3.5. It's pretty strong. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked 
when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. This text and so much of scripture gives us a blueprint for that sanctification process, how we become more like Jesus Christ, how we take on the image of what Jesus Christ looked like. The sanctification process is a renewing of our mind. It literally transforms the character within us so that it's visible to the world. This renewing of a mind does not just change our choices. God literally wants our heart to change so that we want to choose things differently. Some of our desires are so evil. Some of our addictions are so strong. He literally wants to change what we desire from the inside out. And that's the molding, painstaking process of becoming like Jesus Christ. When we pray, mold me, we are literally praying, make me like Jesus. If you want to know what Jesus looks like, Go to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and study Jesus Christ. What he acted like, how he responded, how he thought, the way he treated people. Just study who Jesus is. And that is quite literally the mold that we are supposed to be fashioned into. Now, again, it is a very painful long process that sometimes feels like we're going beyond what we're capable of. God just continues to chip away at us, and I can't handle this. This is too much. I grew up in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. My dream as a kid was to be a professional tennis player. I practiced like crazy, sometimes six, seven hours a day in the blazing heat of, uh, of Arizona, sometimes 120 degrees. And uh, my coaches told me that I had everything necessary to become a professional tennis player except for this thing called talent. <laughs> they didn't say that, but they implied that many, many times. Um, I had heart, but I maybe didn't have talent. But many times our coaches, we'd get to the end of what we thought was practice, and they would just begin conditioning. And I didn't think I could push any further, but they would push, and they would push, and they'd push. That's what God does in our life. We think we're at the end. We think we can't handle any more. He says, I've just got a little bit more to do. I've got a little bit more to do. Don't give up. Don't stop. And I know what some of you are thinking. Saying, young man, my life isn't a sport. It's not a game. My spouse is facing a disease that is taking their life before my eyes. The battles that go on in our marriage seem impossible. The depression that I'm facing, I cannot get over. The anxiety that I face, I cannot get over. And I would challenge you and I would beg you, do not let go of the creator, the one that is forming and fashioning in you a glory and a purpose and a plan that you cannot see. There is a plan that God has in spite of the pain. He is forming this glorious purpose in you. Often as we look at pottery, some of the most valuable clay, some of the most valuable pottery took extra steps, just formed and fashioned into this perfect masterpiece. 
David, the psalmist, knows the pain. Psalms 31, 12, and 14 says this, I am forgotten as though I were dead. I have become like broken pottery. But listen to his response, his resolve. But I trust in you, Lord. You are my God. Don't let go. Hold on to the master potter. He's creating something beautiful. You know, some of you may not normally pray. It may not be a regular habit. It may not be a regular discipline in your life. I'm telling you, if you're going to be formed and fashioned to the image of Jesus Christ, prayer has to become a regular part of your life, your daily activity. Prayer is what creates this resolve in you, this steadfast spirit inside of you. David says this in Psalms 51.10, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Prayer changes our heart and gives us that steadfast spirit. Prayer does not equip us for greater work. Prayer is the greater work. I love what David Benner says this. He says, prayer is the place of divine transformation because it is the place in which our hearts are slowly transformed into the heart of our creator, God. Last quote, Tim Keller says this. The basic purpose of prayer is not to try and bend God's will into our will, but to mold my will into his will. I want the worship team to come up as I close with two illustrations. Michelangelo, uh, by many, is considered the greatest artist, the greatest sculptor to have ever lived. He was able to take a massive block of marble and create something beautiful out of this piece of marble. He could see something that no one else could see, and he'd begin to chisel away at this block of marble and create something absolutely breathtaking. He says this, Michelangelo, in every block of marble I see a statue as plain as though it stood before me, shaped and perfect. I have only to hew away the rough walls that imprison to reveal to the other eyes as my eyes already see. Now, Michelangelo, as a sculptor, was working on a marble block that he didn't create. But he saw the greatness in that block of marble. How much more does God, our creator, the one that created us, that formed us, see the greatness that is inside of us, the plan, the purpose that he has? He looks at us. And others may just see a simple block. But he says, I'm about to shape something absolutely breathtaking to this world. I'm going to form you in the image of my son, Jesus Christ. Now, how absurd would it be if that block of marble that was destined to become Michelangelo's David, his greatest masterpiece, his crowning accomplishment, the David, if that block of marble was able to speak back to Michelangelo and say, I don't want to become a useless statue that just stands there for people to look at. I want to become a countertop. <laughs> How absurd is that that this block of marble would say to its creator, this master sculptor, oh no, I want to be a countertop. How, is a, how absurd is it for us to look at our creator 
and say, I know what I'm supposed to become. I know better. Romans 9, 20, 21 says, but who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? So what does form say to the one who formed it? Why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? We all are a lump of clay. And God has a design and a purpose for us. Some are for some special use and some are for some other use. But it's perfect for us. God has designed you for absolute perfect intentions. And you just simply say, God, mold me and use me how you want. Now, as I said, I'm a young dad, very well acquainted with Plato, and when my kids get a hold of that Plato, these young little infants get a hold of Plato, they mash it together, they mold it up, and they hand it to us, and we just, parents, grandparents, we think it's awesome, they think it's beautiful, but everyone else, it's just horrible, almost disgusting, okay? But here's the good thing. You and I, are not in the hands of a carefree infant. We are in the hands of a loving, merciful, perfect master creator that wants to design something magnificent out of our life to reveal his son, Jesus Christ, to this world that needs his son. Grab a hold of this. Jeremiah had the courage to confront an entire crowd known as Israel, the people of God, had the courage to confront them and challenge them with a hard saying. He said, lay your life on the altar. Get up on the potter's wheel. Let him mold you. Let him take the pottery of your life, just put it there and let him reform you. He had the courage because of this. He had the image of a master potter sitting at the wheel, forming something step by step by step into something beautiful. If your heart's desire is not to just leap up and get on the potter's wheel and say, God, mold me, it's because you don't have an image of who Jesus Christ is, how perfect he is, how great he is, how much he loves you, how, how amazing his mercy and grace is. And I just challenge you, Ask God, give me a vision of who you are, Jesus. Give me a vision of your plans for my life. Give me a vision of how great and magnificent you are.